everybody, and welcome back to That's Absurd. Please elaborate. I am Trace. And I am Julian. We are the hosts of this show where we take absurd, silly, ridiculous questions from each other, from guests, from listeners like you, and then we try and answer them as best we can using actual, real, science-y research. And today, it's a spooktacular special. We can't afford sound effects. So just... <laughs> Hold on, let me go get some aluminum foil from my kitchen and wobble it in front of the mic. Yeah, yeah. Spooky episode. Happy Halloween, Julian. Thank you. Happy, you have a Halloween costume. Happy All Hallows Eve. Yeah, my costume is a cool guy in a, in a cool graphic t-shirt. My son is going to be the Hulk because that's the only superhero he knows. And if you ask him what's on his T-shirt, he'll say Hulk, even if he's wearing like a T-shirt with dinosaurs. He just says Hulk. <laughs> so we're going to give him the Every, Hulk Everything's the Hulk. Everything's, everything's the Hulk, Hulk to Raph. He's always angry. That's cool. So that should be fun. I've given zero thought to my Halloween costume this year. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm going to be picking through the dregs of whatever's left at the nearby spirit and just going to have to accept a triple XL sexy sailor uniform, which I did (laughs) one year. I feel like you could pull that off. And I look good. I look good. And I went to parties and people were like, oh, you're a slutty sailor. And I was like, excuse you, just because I'm dressed in a revealing manner speaks nothing to my proclivity. Yeah, like, how right. dare you judge me? I made a statement that year. I told off a lot of dudes at a party. I felt good about I'm it. I'm proud of you. Thank I'm you. Proud of you. <laughs> what I do is throughout the year, I will leave a calendar invite on October 1st, and I'll just be like, Halloween costume ideas, and mm. I'll just add them to that calendar invite. Oh, man. So, October 1st, I get a little thing that's like 9 a.m. Here's the ideas that you've had over the past year. You're going to be upside down Wolverine? <laughs> I don't understand what that means. <laughs> My my favorite last minute costume idea was is I went I had nothing and I was going to a Halloween party that night and I stopped by a craft store and I picked up a ton of yarn and the largest knitting needles I could find and I wrapped myself in it and I stuck the needles through it and I was a ball of yarn so when I went to this big house party in Los Angeles like all of the girls who were dressed up as sexy cats I could be like an accessory costume. That's pretty smart. I thought I thought That's so smart. until it started like constricting my breathing because I had wrapped mm. myself in it with no forethought and I basically <laughs> turned the yarn into like a giant boa constrictor. <laughs> I was like really you. struggling to breathe. It was, very you. it was not attractive. <laughs> you started turning red. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and I was also so weird because I would like there were like six different sexy cats at this party because of course there were and I would like some of them got it right away and some of them I would like stand near them and they'd be like what are you doing why are you here and I'd be like okay never mind I thought I was pretty (laughs) clever I'm gonna go now it's fine maybe you're more of a wand toy kind of sexy cat I don't know (laughs) sorry this cat does not want to play um (laughs) So, for our spooktacular episode, though, we have selected uh, Halloween-appropriate questions. And uh, my question, actually, that I'm going to answer, Trace, was asked by you. It was, because this is something that I have thought about a lot. Mm. Um, your, Your question is, could we live without a head? Mm. You know, like, because when I was a kid, I used to read Halloween stories and the headless horseman was always freaky. But I was like, wait a minute, he's holding his head in one of his hands. So he only has one other hand to do anything with. And he's riding a horse. So really, like, why are you afraid of him in that, like, he he doesn't have a stick or anything he can hit you with. He's holding his head in one hand. His hands are full. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. You You know, he's still scary because, you know, he's holding his head in a hand and it's yelling at you or something. I don't know how he's doing that without lungs. But anyway, I have so many questions. So I wanted you to maybe look into this for me. I figured it would be Headless Horseman inspired. And it's funny you say he holds his head in his hands because like the story, the version I've always heard is like his head is a jack-o'-lantern for some reason, right? right? Um, Because the Headless Horseman, the story goes, right, that like he was a Hessian soldier during the Revolutionary War. So like a mercenary. And he was like surveying the battlefield and a dying enemy soldier like lit off a cannon and it (gasps) took his head clean off. Right. Yeah. But it's funny that you say he would carry it around because I was thinking about this and I was like, 
wouldn't his head be smashed like a like a grape like because yeah, it got hit yes. by a freaking cannonball so he should yeah. be just carrying around like a mush of flesh Ooh, in like your, a little ziploc bag like he wouldn't have a like how would the skull be intact yeah. but anyway that's neither yeah. here nor there but either way even if he's carrying the pumpkin you know like the yeah. jack-o'-lantern he's got to hold the reins of the horse that he's riding Mm-hmm. And then it, so and then he gets off the horse and he has to tie up the horse and then he has his pumpkin head is in one hand and the other hand his you know his non-dominant hand he's so he has to like turn his one hand when he's you know it just doesn't make sense logistically yeah I, I don't understand it uh, however I do know that there are modern day there are scientists working on human head transplants which let's be honest is really a body transplant so i know that there are people that are like working on and there may be that you know there's always the chicken that gets its head cough and still runs around so there's like all these things about heads and being alive I feel like and you I did a lot of my research already but we yes. i did oh i'm just making this <laughs> we're up. gonna bring these things up don't you worry okay we're gonna get to it. that i just uh <laughs> yeah i also still thinking about the headless horseman though you're right like it's so impractical but it's it, there's nothing scary about just a dude with a head, right? Oh no! I the, guess that's true. The headed the horseman. Headed, the headed horseman. He's riding his horse upon the ground. The dreaded headed horseman. Just a guy. <laughs> just from a, Germany. His, his name is uh, probably Friedrich. Oh, Fred, what are no. you doing up there? Oh, Fred, the guy with the head. <laughs> That's what they called it back in Germany. Oh, no. Fred the Head. Fred How the you doing, head. Fred? Why Fred you call the him head? That? Well, because he's got a head. You know this German <laughs> accent? <laughs> Just a guy with a head. Terrifying. That was, uh, was like the first version of... <laughs> <laughs> of the Sleepy we Hollow story was just like, well, it's a guy with a head and he rides a, rides a, rides a horse. Why does he, he needs to not, there what? needs to be a thing. He needs what? to not have a head. Why are you specifying me as a head? Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> he can look, he can like acquire things visually and here, yeah, what? he's like really aware of his surroundings. <laughs> <laughs> he's got two hands that are free. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. Think of all the things he can Terrifying. do with those hands. Yeah. No, no we, yeah. Need, to, we the, need to make this a little The different. real monster all along was man. Specifically Fred. Specifically Fred, Fred. the head. Okay, but yeah, aside from this, now as you pointed out, kind of silly headless horseman. There's a lot of stories of, you know, uh, beheaded people doing things that are spooky where they still seem like they're they're alive for a little while. There's a couple examples of, you know, stories of people who were beheaded and then afterwards, you know, had reactions or did things, right? Of course, these people also almost always happen to be famous royals and whatnot, right? Like, it always has to involve some important... It can't just be Steve from down the block who was beheaded and then, like, had a facial expression, like, you know, tried to whistle or something. No. Decapitation Steve. (laughs) Steve the headless. Steve the neck. So, (laughs) So, like, for example... Anne Boleyn supposedly, after she was beheaded, tried to scream, right? Uh, and and I, I always think it's funny. I remember we were listening to, uh, before we released the episode on, on, on pizza, and you talked about how, like, oh, the margarita pizza supposedly was, like, presented to the queen because it had all the colors of the Italian flag. And basically, at this point, every time I hear a famous story that involves royals, I'm like, I'm just going to assume it's not true. I'm going to assume it's made up and we needed somebody famous to base the story around. But anyway, so Anne Boleyn is one of these uh, these stories or another famous historical figure is uh, Charlotte Corday. If you don't recognize the name, she was a French woman, a French commoner who was very angry at Jean-Paul Marat, who's one of the figures in the French Revolution. And uh, she decided one day that she was going to going to murder him. And so. Uh, while Marat was taking a bath because he had a really bad skin condition, he was like in the bath and this woman shows up from out of town. And she's like, I have the names of a bunch of conspirators that are plotting against the new you know, French government. And he's like, oh, of course, let her in and let me talk to her. And then she and then she murdered him in the bath. So like, you know, everybody in France in the late 17, early 1800s, uh, she was sentenced to the guillotine. Mm-hmm. And when they cut off her head, supposedly the executioner slapped it. And her face, quote, took on an angry expression and her cheeks became flushed. 
I know. How would her cheeks become flushed? She has no blood flow. Great question. Okay, one more example, right, of these apocryphal Mm. stories, and then we'll get to actual science and stuff. Okay, okay. Uh, okay. So as as recently as 1905, there was a Frenchman condemned to the guillotine, which seems really recent, doesn't it? That does seem recent. That's like (laughs) not that long ago. That's not long ago at all. It's It's 118 years ago. (laughs) So so this man was sentenced to die. Uh, I shouldn't say that was such a cheerful chipper in my voice, but (laughs) he was going to get executed anyway. He was going to get killed. Uh, So his name, I'm going to butcher pretty much all the French names. I apologize. But his name was Languille. I can't say it. No, say it totally. Go totally gringo. Just say it totally gringo. It was Languille. And he was <laughs> being observed by a doctor in the crowd named Dr. Gabriel Beery Rewooks. And <laughs> I think Perfect. I said this pretty accurately. I think you nailed it. Yeah. And when his head was lopped off, Beery Rewooks called out the person's name. He said, quote, I called in a strong, sharp voice, Languili. I saw the eyelids slowly lift up without any spasmodic contractions. I insist advisedly on this peculiarity, but with an even movement, quite distinct and normal, such as happens in everyday life with people awakened or torn from their thoughts. And it's Whoa. like, yeah, I wonder what the beheaded guy might be thinking about. And then you call his name and he's got to be like, oh, what? Sorry. I'm sorry. I was just sorry. Uh, lost in thought there. I was uh, just, just uh, <laughs> I was just taking it all in. How I would be screaming in torment, but I don't have any lungs. Uh, and just the peculiarity of that. I just realized I'd left the me. oven on, and then. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it doesn't matter because Ooh. I've died. Ooh. I am died. I am dead. Okay, so these are all right stories of people seeming to live on for some time after decapitation, right. post body. Yes. Uh, the thing is, there's pretty much no scientific reason that this should be possible at all right Mm. because as you alluded to earlier when your head gets you know slicey slicey uh your blood pressure in your in your head part of the body as we experts call it uh Mm. that drops dramatically now i don't know if you've ever just like stood up too fast Right. Yeah, definitely. And almost passed out. But I can imagine it's something akin to that. Right. So there was a a doctor, Dr. Shiva Shanu. She's a senior research associate in clinical neuroscience at the University of Cambridge. And she says that basically like there are some facial reflexes that might survive for a few seconds or even minutes. But consciousness almost certainly disappears very quickly at most within a second or two. Right. Hmm. So Dr. Shanu is saying that sudden drop in blood pressure is basically going to cause a loss of consciousness almost instantaneously when a person gets decapitated. And to me, that makes total sense. It does. Yeah. Without any blood flow whatsoever. Because, I mean, even if there were an artery in your brain trying to pump things around, there's nothing to pump. Yeah. There's no, you know? all the, all the, the ends are open, right? Like the, yeah. the it's not a complete system anymore that contains all the blood it's it's right. yeah it's just a tube it's like a hollow a big stretch tube. of pvc pipe basically if you went and blew and in one all... side yeah you like like a conch shell <laughs> the, the head flute but you put your you put uh, your ear up to the, uh, the dead <laughs> you hear the, the ocean the decapitated french noblemen <laughs> mon dieu <laughs> And you can hear the waters of the Seine. I hear the beaches of Normandy. <laughs> this is awful. Uh, this is so bad. Oh, uh, gross. <laughs> gross. Yeah, super Don't get gross. it on your shirt. <laughs> yeah. So uh, pretty quickly, too, the cells in the brain are going to start dying. Uh, the brain uses up a substantial amount of oxygen, right? About 20% of the oxygen that your body uses is just dedicated to keeping the brain going. So it's going to deplete through its oxygen supply pretty quickly. So it's not going to be able to like reset all the neurons to keep firing. There's going to be a buildup of, um, you know, toxic uh, chemicals as a result. And Mm. within three to six minutes, these neurons are going to start dying off. So not only are you, is this, you know, person, half person, I guess top one-tenth person? Eight, eight percent? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just a little off really the top. really depends how, you know, how much they like to eat. <laughs> right. Uh, so not only is this former person going to 
pass out pretty quickly, but then they're going to be irretrievably dead within minutes. Like the, the yeah. all the cells in their brain are just going to die off fairly quickly. Interesting to think about, though, that like I, I've always associated decapitation with like, OK, instant death. You, you, te- you cut off your head, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Right. But what you're sort of saying is even though you're not conscious, what, I, what I'm hearing is their brain is still alive. Like yeah. their brain is still like like, like if you were to just drown in water and you can't have any more oxygen coming in your brain is still alive for a while a little bit six to eight minutes so decapitation is the same that's weird to think about or like the brain even though it's not expressing things the brain is still in there being like sup (laughs) you gonna get some oxygen or what anybody anybody out there we got any oxygen coming in we got oxygen (laughs) please Please, sir please. please Look at you! Please, you had sir. all those May palaces some oxygen? and mansions. Now you <laughs> no, just want Aaron, a little Aronson, bit of oxygen. Get out of here! Go back to your sticks. <laughs> Sometimes I think about Aaron Aronson, the medieval British peasant with mud piles and sticks, and I just start laughing. I just want I to say, too. I just like pause in the kitchen. I'm just like <laughs> Aaron and his free sticks. His free will sticks. His free sticks is all he's got. At least he's got his head. More than that, Ambolin. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so it's, it's funny you bring that up because you can also think about not necessarily decapitation, but just like normal clinical death and how we define it, right? Like when the heart stops, somebody's pronounced dead, but, uh, they Mm. have done studies though on brain activity post clinical death. Uh, there's a neuroscientist, Ajmal Zemar. He's from the University of Louisville. And in a 2022 study, Zemar and his colleagues, they looked at the activity in a dying brain as a patient was dying. So before and after oh. clinical death. And they found that 30 seconds after the heart stopped beating, the brain waves were still going. So this pattern of neural activity was still rippling back and forth across the brain. And wow. interestingly, he said the pattern that they uh, fired in is like the, the gamma pattern, which is a pattern that you also see when people are recalling things. So he speculated because, you know, obviously he couldn't we ask the person. Ask, he can't right, like yeah. shake the guy and be like, what's like, happening? What are you thinking about? And his eyelids opened in a way that would be he was lost in thought. Sorry, I just was thinking back to what you just said. Right. I'd love that. Like, oh, like he had something else on his mind. But he compared it to like stories when people who have near death experiences say like, oh, I saw my life flash before my eyes. And he's like, well, maybe because these patterns of brainwave activity are similar to what people who are recalling memories uh, exhibit. Maybe there's a connection there. But again, he didn't like patently say, yeah, that's what's going on because it's kind of hard to know for sure. So, yeah, it's it's fascinating that like, eh, you know, your your heart stopped beating, but your brain still as long as it can go, will keep going. Right. Wow. Now, gross. Going back to uh, maybe surviving without the head we, we talked about the head coming off and then the head living yeah but if you think about the headless horseman story especially <gasps> the pumpkin version where he's not carrying around his actual head but like the pumpkin uh it's not really the head that's still alive it's the body i love where this is going right wow that's so, fun to think about so question might be like how could how long could a body survive without a head and in this instance <sighs> let's talk about chickens Chickens. So, chickens. So you've, you've heard probably like, oh, running around like a chicken with its head cut off as an expression, right. right? Yeah. But there's a famous chicken called Mike. <gasps> Mir- Mike? M- Mike? Mike the Miracle. Miracle Mike. Magic Mike? Mike? No, that's a different thing. No. I mean, that chicken can dance, let me tell you. <laughs> Miracle Mike the Headless Chicken. So this is a chicken when oh, in 1945... This farmer, his name was Lloyd Olson, living in Frutia, Colorado. So he's got his mother-in-law over for dinner. So Lloyd's preparing the food. And according to Lloyd, he says, well, you know, I I know that she loves uh, some roast chicken neck specifically. Mm, So he's trying to he's trying to cut off the head of this chicken uh, while leaving as much neck intact. So he lops off the head and he in doing so, misses the jugular vein of this chicken, an ear, and most of its brainstem. And the chicken didn't die. Ooh. Yeah. So Ooh. right afterwards, right, like the Mike, 
the headless chicken. First of all, I'm just going to uh, make this assumption. I don't think the chicken was named before they decapitated it. You know? Oh, probably not. Yeah. Which is kind of dark when you think about it. Like, Like they named him after they'd cut off most of his brain. Yeah. Yeah. Like they had more empathy for this animal when it was basically like a walking corpse which is maimed oh my god bananas uh anyway just a weird really gross thought to throw out there name it bananas bananas the headless chicken that would be cute so they cut off the head of this chicken and yeah he mike's body what's left of mike was still kind of running around as they are known to do but then it settles down and it starts pecking at the ground for food but with its stump And then it tried to, like, preen its feathers. But, you know, again, with its stump. So it was still doing normal chicken things sans head. Oh, gross. It's bleeding everywhere. Mike falls asleep in the bar, and and, and Olsen finds him the next day with his stump. Like, he's trying to tuck it under his wing, like how birds, you know, sleep. And the farmer, Lloyd Olsen's like, you know what? I'm going to keep this chicken alive. What? Yeah. So Lloyd. he, he st- I know you maniac. Yeah, Lloyd, what is wrong with you? I know. So Lloyd says that he did it like preparing for his dinner. Now, his great grandson later said that they were just decapitating chickens like you do to get them ready for market. And like basically this one chicken for whatever reason didn't die. My favorite part about the great grandson story is apparently, according to him, Lloyd would take this headless chicken like into town and then he would like bet people a beer that, like, a chicken could survive without its head. Oh, no. And and oh, I just want to say... Lloyd. If anybody ever comes up to you with a really specific bet, <laughs> don't take it. I bet you that a, a man who is <laughs> six foot two could survive with only one big toe. Yeah, right? I bet you like, he could. I bet, I bet you. Bet, I bet no, you. <laughs> no way, six foot two man whose feet I currently can't see. <laughs> There's no, you're on. Like, how? I bet you a whole beer. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's so suspicious to be like, hey. uh, Hi, stranger at the bar. Just bringing it up for no reason. (laughs) Long week, huh? Long week. Long week for me, too. Yeah. Hey, uh. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you got chickens on your farm anyway. Yeah, I got chickens on my farm. You think a chicken could survive uh, without the head? I oh, definitely not. De- definitely not. No. Definitely not. Definitely not. No. Definitely not. Why do you ask? I don't know. No, but you want to put a beer on it? Like, just. <laughs> yeah, but where are we going to get the chicken? Like, well, opens his this? jacket. Had it here this whole time. Uh, I thought you had a weird lump rustling around <laughs> under your coat. Why is it bleeding? <laughs> oh, gross. Oh, yeah, so apparently also it would try and and cluck, but it would just make gurgling noises, which is disturbing. Oh, God, no. But he kept this chicken alive by, like, dropping water into the stump and, like, injecting food with a syringe and then, like, clearing out mucus that would build up with a syringe. Oh, God. Yeah. Do you want to take a guess how long Mike lived? I mean, longer than I would have wanted. (laughs) <laughs> okay, which is uh, a week. Time, time I don't know. A d- week, day, yeah, days, like a few days, days, hours, days, a couple months, days. What? Yeah, days. Mike lived for eighteen months. Oh, that's awful for Mike. It's a pretty. I feel terrible so existence for Mike. For Mike. Yeah, wow. I feel bad for wow. this chicken. For Mike. Mike only died because uh, they were traveling. They were taking him to, like, sideshows and stuff and having people, like, come see the amazing miracle chicken. So they were they were traveling. They were in a motel, and they woke up one night to hear Mike basic... I don't know how to say it if this is right, but choking mm. on mucus. And they had left the syringe they used to clear the mucus at the sideshow where they were oh, earlier no. that day. So they didn't have any way to clear the clog. And Mike, sadly, finally, mercifully, was allowed to die. Was allowed his his body oh, was allowed to join the rest of him oh, in no. what I assume is chicken heaven. Oh, 
That's maybe the lowest point in our 15th episode. This is the stupidest moment. <laughs> also, I thought of a name. I think I would name the chicken Demi. You know, Demi? like because half a chicken. Because like Demi. Demi chicken. Demi the chicken. Oh Just my a thought God. that I had. Cluck Van Cleave. Van Cleave is pretty good. Uh, or just Cleave. Cleave. Clevis. Clevis. Clevis and Cluckhead. Oh. So. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the, I'm like, I've never my, clucked Ave Maria before, but I feel pretty good about it. My, my hands are numb from laughing too hard. Uh, think about I'm how like Mike felt. Hyperventilating. Oh, poor, poor Miracle Mike. All right. So let's talk about, though, why this was possible. And the reason is a chicken's brain is surprisingly far back in its head. Hmm. Like if you look at a picture of chicken chicken anatomy, as a matter of fact, I've found a photo which I'm going to share with you in the chat and perhaps we can post in our Instagram. Yes, please. Go ahead and post this here. Okay. So look where the brain of that chicken is. I mean, that totally makes sense. It's behind its eyeballs. Yeah, it's... Like, eyeballs are in front of the brain. Yes, it's really, really far behind the eyes. So if Lloyd's original story is to be believed that he was trying to preserve as much neck for those tasty chicken necks that his mother-in-law loves so much, it would make sense that he would basically leave most of the brain intact. Yeah. Right. An earlier story, by the way, said it was the brain stem was still intact. And then I found a later, I guess, chicken scientist who was like, well, now we know that that's really like the entire brain instead of just like the brain stem. Yeah. The experts they found for this were amazing, by the way, because one of the guys, Dr. Wayne J. Kunzel, is a poultry physiologist and neurobiologist, which what a niche. Wow. Yeah. What? What an absolute niche. But anyway, so they think that this the brain was left mostly intact. Uh, and then on top of that, this chicken happened to have like a blood clot fortuitously as it was being decapitated that kept it from bleeding out. Because that's the huh. other important thing we talked yeah. about, right? It's like just general loss of blood is going to be an issue. Like a- even if the very brain's clotty. still intact. So it, d- it yeah. didn't, didn't die. Hmm. So, yeah. So it basically, like, its brain was mostly still there, and the hole that it might have bled out from was was corked up, and Mike could keep on clucking for wow. another 18 months. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, talk about a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Way to go. So Way to go, Mike. Is this just a thing for chickens, or are there other animals that this could happen for? It has happened with multiple chickens, but oh, wow. it makes sense okay. to me because, like, we breed and decapitate a lot of chickens. Eventually, it's going to happen probably more than once if it's possible at all, right? Right, right. There are other instances where, say, like, people who decapitated a rattlesnake or some sort of venomous snake, like, later would try and dispose of the head, like, 20 minutes later, and the head would bite them, <gasps> and then this person would be envenomed. And dot. Envenomed? Uh, yeah. I've never heard yes. that word, but I love it. Great word. It's a thing, great By the word. way, thing that drives me crazy that I'm going to just clarify right now is uh, snakes are venomous, not, not poisonous. poisonous. Yes. Right. Great point. Thank you for so, pointing it out. That's the thing. If it bites you and you die, it's venom. If you bite it and you die, it's poison. That's right. Uh, anyway, that's just a little... That's neither here nor there. I've read that maybe it's because the snakes being uh, cold-blooded, they can survive longer... Mm. Uh, because, you know, their their systems aren't metabolizing as much, like, so the cells stay alive, and then this head of a rattlesnake or whatever 20 minutes later bites this person and exacts revenge, which, in this case, I'm rooting for the snake, because, uh, fun fact, rattlesnakes don't want to bite you. No. Uh, They're mostly trying to get mm. you to go away. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, Venom is like very it's it's a energy expensive thing to make. Correct. So you don't want to just like waste it. You know, you're not like 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 think of Jurassic Park. They're not there's not gonna be a dinosaur. That dinosaur that spits acid does not exist. Why? Because yeah. the acid that's that would spit would be very difficult for it to make. It would take a lot of energy to make it. So it's not just gonna spit it for fun. If it's gonna eat you anyway, it's just gonna eat you. Yeah. 
especially for, as we established, like a cold-blooded animal that might take a lot longer because its metabolism is a lot, you know, is slower. So to make this venom will take longer. Yeah. Yeah. The the whole point of the rattle is to get you to go away. Be like, yo, I'm yeah. right here. So if, if you see one, a lot of people get bit because they like step over a log when they're hiking and the rattlesnake is on the other side of it. And the snake's like, yeah, ah! And they didn't and, know. And freaks, yeah. it, like a surprise and bites them. But usually like if you've seen it and it's rattling at you, just like, go the other way. Just, just go, go away. Way. Just, <laughs> just it's way. not going to, like, come after you. Yeah, uh, I'm also going to add the caveat that I am not a snake expert. So if you take this advice and get bitten on a trail, I'm just I'm going to hold myself harmless uh, in this instance. But anyway, let's talk about people, though. And okay. if Miracle Mike's situation might happen with a person. Could I and get answer, partially decapitated? Yeah. And the thing is, because of the fact that our brain is pretty much all entirely in our skull, you yeah. can't be fully decapitated and expect yeah. your body to persevere, to just gut it out, I walk it off. Not. Literally gut right? it out. <laughs> like, uh, the, so the brainstem is the part of your brain that connects directly to the spinal cord, right? And it controls a lot of automatic functions like your breathing and your heart rate. Mm -hmm. And if that is intact, like these basic functions you might be able to maintain, right? Like people right. who experience um, cerebral death where the rest of their brain tissue dies, they can still have some of these bodily functions and their body can get all eye of the tiger and keep going. <laughs> but they're not alive. So there are instances of people with like serious brain damage that keep going or people, really extraordinary cases where like most of their skull is filled with cerebrospinal fluid mm. and they pretty much have like a little bit of like the rest of the brain and then like a spinal cord and they're still alive. In the course of my research though, I found what I think is the most horrifying thing to consider and that is just the brain itself being kept alive, wholly separate from the body, from the head, from everything else. Is it possible? Yeah. There, there are researchers. There's a researcher named Dr. Marco de Curtis. Oh, no. He is associated with the Carlo Besta Neurological Institute, oh, no. and he uh, does experiments. He's very focused on epilepsy and what triggers it and observing the brains during epilepsy. And in order to study it, he has developed a method of removing guinea pig brains and keeping them alive and then <sighs> inducing seizures to observe what happens. Oh, my gosh. This is a Halloween episode if I ever heard one. It's It's horrifying right he's got multiple studies for example one from 2015 the in vitro isolated whole guinea pig brain as a model to study epileptiform activity patterns oh my god oh uh, or uh seizure induced acute glial activation in the in vitro isolated guinea pig brain from so 2021 like, oh my god so he keeps the brains alive to study epilepsy yes but separate from don't the brain aren't the brains like really upset they're not attached to their body. How would we know? Oh, How Jesus. would it? This is the horror of the question, right? The it's totally disconnected the from horror. any sort of outside stimuli or way oh, to communicate God. with the world. It's just Jeez. a brain in isolation where the tissues are still kept alive. Wow. 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 Yeah. And so it can be done, at least with guinea pigs. With guinea pigs, who knows? It doesn't work in rats, which are things that we, you know, in science use a lot because they're a good model for a lot of things in humans. So I have no idea. There's also, you know, <clears throat> in neuroscience, there's techniques for preserving like slices of brain tissue to for keep them alive. Hours, yeah, they, so you can study them. In stuff that nutrients and stuff that Based, makes sense. Yes, exactly. But you're just keeping the cells alive, really. Yes, yes, and again, that's for a matter of hours. But like a, a guinea pig brain in a jar, who knows how long it could live? So long as it's provided with nutrients and you know the the oxygen and the toxins are cleared away. I mean, if you think about it, aren't we just brains in jars? Ooh, yeah, but my jar has like eyes and a mouth, and <laughs> it's got some squishy. My jar feels when things touch touch my jar. So <laughs> I could feel so I'm my okay jar. With it. <laughs> what is the skull but a brain jar? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> ah. oh so there God. you go. There have been instances of chickens surviving for a long time. Uh, there's 
guinea pig brains that are oh, just living gosh. in jars the poor in the jars. poor little darlings oh no wow uh, but as for whether the headless horseman could survive uh post cannonball or whether Anne Boleyn actually tried to scream the answer to all that is nah 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 just nah. not not yeah. gonna happen sorry but great news so yeah the the real one you have to be terrified of is the horseman with the head still still just the just the guy on the horse just the guy with a horse yeah coming around fred, fred. knocking on the door <laughs> hello uh... i would like to murder you <laughs> when the rooster sings ave maria at dawn <laughs> fred comes calling <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think let's take a break (laughs) and then come right back with Could a Horse Be an Apex Predator? (gasps) Welcome back to That's Absurd. Please elaborate the spooky episode. (laughs) That was pretty good. That was great. I am one of your two hosts with a head, Julian, joined by Trace. And after we've explored the implications of losing your head, Trace now has the question, what if horses were apex predators? That's right. So this question actually comes from a listener, Meg. Hey, y'all. My name's Meg. I'm sending this in from Lowell, Massachusetts. I'm a big fan of the show. I found you guys on Nebula, and I'm just loving it so far. Uh, I was talking to my partner a little while ago about why he doesn't like horses. I knew that he didn't like horses, and I assumed it was the normal stuff, like they're big and they're kind of jumpy, they make people nervous, people get hurt, whatever. But he said, animals of that size should have the instincts of apex predators, but instead they have the instincts of prey, and therefore I don't respect them. So that kind of got me thinking what would happen if horses were apex predators. How can horses earn the respect of my partner? Uh, Thanks, guys. Honestly, I love the question. I love the premise. Meg, good job. Thank you for sending this question to us. (laughs) Meg's part. So, I don't respect them. Not even like I fear them. Just like, wow, horses, you really let everybody down by not being (laughs) apex predators, and therefore I am judging you. Yeah, I think that's that is a good way to put it. And hey, someone who found us on Nebula. Shout out to everybody over on Nebula. It's a great great network of creators making stuff. Love it. Yeah, Meg, I think has hit on something that a lot of people feel. A lot of people, I think, love horses and want them to be cooler than they actually are. I mean, <laughs> think about all of the things wow. that we do to horses. Horses You're are just, cool. I'm not going to say they're not. <laughs> you just upset all the horse girls. Every Lisa Frank person out there is Our mad. horse listeners that I'm sure we have many of. <laughs> wow. I'm not, I'm not here to redesign the horse. It's wow. already been done. We've given horses wings. We've given horses. Horses, horns, we've given horses, basically all the little things. We've given horses Hawaiian shirts and cartoon shows. We've given we've given them everything that we have yeah, ever Yeah, and drinking needed. problems, we've right. given horses. Exactly. We've given them everything <laughs> that we've given pasts. ourselves. <laughs> However. Yeah, we've really modified horses quite a bit. Yeah, and so I thought this is a really fun question. So thank you again, Meg, for sending it in. So it, when you think of an apex predator, what do you think of? My, my cat okay specifically yeah. i mean she's small she's like shrunken down but she's terrifying so i guess right. a bigger cat a big like cat a, i guess a, well big cats then yeah, yeah. there's a long yeah. way to get to big cats no you got like there you got there in the end that's the important thing i feel like your <laughs> like hands a small cat but big your you know? hands are still numb from from the previous <laughs> my b- brain. brain is deprived of oxygen is what it is <laughs> i'm just a brain stem at this point that's a, that's an excellent example of an apex predator an apex predator is, a is big cat. It's a big cat, like a lion a small, a or a leopard or a tiger. Those are all big, big cat apex predators. Um, okay. Pre- predator prey relationships is one of the first things that we learn about in like high school bi- biology or even like elementary school biology. And predators, there are many, many predators. Some of them are preyed upon by other things. You know, some predators Ooh. like a raccoon is not the biggest predator in its ecosystem. Some things will eat raccoons and raccoons will eat other things. And so the apex predator, if you're unaware of this term, is the predator that nothing else really preys on not to say it never gets preyed upon but it's like very unlikely that it will get preyed upon 
So prey animals are anything that is regularly eaten by other animals. A classic okay. example, rabbit. A rabbit is prey for a fox, Aww. right? The chickens are prey for foxes. Foxes are eaten, though, by bears and coyotes, eagles. Even large snakes will eat foxes, so they're not apex predators. Mm. Then you think eagles. Wow, eagles, the majestic bald eagle. They are not an apex predator. They can be eaten what? by hawks, bears, wolverines, alligators, and raccoons, which will eat the eggs of eagles and eaglets. So I feel like eating the egg doesn't count as defeating does. an apex predator. Yeah, it no, does, yes. No. If I travel back in time and I defeat Mahal, <laughs> Muhammad Ali as a baby. I'm not the greatest <laughs> boxer of all time. This is true. This is you true. Know, like, yes. I, uh, what I did was I punched a baby. But there are some <laughs> animals that are not regular prey for anything, and that would be like bears and wolverines and, you know, other really usually large predatory animals. They're not always carnivores entirely. Some of them are omnivores like bears. Um but these are the apex predators. They're the tops of their respective food chain. Apex, it means, you know, top. And it does mm -hmm. mean that they eat more than they are eaten, but it does not mean that they are never eaten. And it does not okay. mean that they are the biggest or the smartest or the most vicious or the top of their dog pile necessarily, except for in this one way that we've decided is important. An apex predator is different from a keystone species because a lot of people mm. think they're the same thing. So think of a mm. wolf. It's an apex predator. Uh, however, it's also a keystone species. It keeps populations in check. And if you remove it from the ecosystem, it can cause all sorts of problems. Not every apex predator is a keystone species. I that was doing sense. my research and I myself was getting confused about that. So Yeah. Or like a, a prey item can be a keystone species. Yeah. Like a lot of things that are at the base of the food chain are yeah, like really a, important. Right. Like if you think of like a wolf in Yellowstone being a keystone species, you could also argue i'm guessing i'm not an ecologist that elk that the wolf eat are also a keystone <laughs> species because without them you know it could be a big problem so yeah. common examples of apex predators we've sort of listed already lions jaguars leopards tigers orcas sharks bears eagles wolves crocodiles yada 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 okay. however i want to break it up a bit and say there are also small things that are apex predators uh, oh. tasmanian devil size of a small dog apex predator what moray eel apex predator I believe that. Giant otter, which also, is still an otter, is an apex yeah. predator. Also, those things, the, the moray eel is also kind of like alien because it's got like the yeah, mouth within the mouth thing. They're freaky. They're super they're freaky. They're alien and predator. Yeah, that's true. And then you said giant otter? Giant otter. It's like five wow. feet. It's big. They're big otter. That's some big otter. Yeah. And in New Zealand, you listed and nailed it right out the gate, Julian, apex predator, Felis catus, the common house cat. There because they have no predators there. And so what will end up happening is they will, you know, kill a lot of birds and nothing yeah. will eat them. Uh, they've yeah. actually Kiwis. extincted nine native bird species in New Zealand and put Yikes. 30 others on an endangered species list. So please spay yeah. and neuter your pets, everyone. Yes. yes. Don't let your cats uh, outside. This isn't freaking Flintstones. Just keep the cat inside. The the kiwi, right? Like, not the fruit, the bird of New Zealand is really threatened because of introduced predators uh cats and then i think stoats are another really big mm. problem for kiwis because they they eat the eggs interesting uh yeah so uh, apex predator. If we were thinking about a horse as an apex predator, um, you know, these predator-prey relationships are completely different for every animal, and an apex predator doesn't necessarily prey on all of the things below it. It just preys on mm. some of the things below it, and they're molded by millions of years of adaptation, and they don't just happen once, and then they stay that way forever. They're constantly evolving and changing in these arms races. So, unless you're a crocodile, unless in which you're, case yeah. you've... You figured everything you figured out, out and you don't need to change, baby. Good You're to perfect go. just the way you are. <laughs> you, oh my God, an invisible stealth log covered in armor and teeth. <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're you perfect. Good. Evolution got that one right tens of millions of years ago and was like, no you're notes. beautiful. <laughs> Singing to an alligator. <laughs> true so common traits of apex predators which we would need to get into the horse somehow there would be called foraging or trophic uh traits we would have teeth for tearing and grabbing claws for ripping and grabbing because you have because most apex predators you got to prey on something mm -hmm. <laughs> you also though need a pretty large size so horses have that that's cool um 
However, the things that other apex predators do have is like slower reproductive rates. Horses are, breed pretty quickly, so they'd have to slow that down. Um, horses live pretty quick. They are always on the move, running around. Apex predators are not. They sleep more. They conserve their energy until they can hunt or need to go and get food. They typically have large territories and have some competitive advantage over their prey. So they're either have a really good sense of smell, they have really good camouflage, they have good eyesight, good stamina, stuff like that. Whereas prey mm-hmm. animals, uh, which are also called vulnerability traits, they breed more quickly because they have to be replaced quickly as they are preyed upon. Uh, they're in motion more. They usually continue moving. They have to react quickly, so they run and evade. They typically have large social groups, whereas predators typically have smaller social groups. You know, just all sorts of things. They have defensive body traits, um, and they typically notice changes in their environments. For example, even a horse, which we'll get into this in a second, about eyesight. Horses don't have amazing eyesight, um, but they can remember what they've seen. And so if you're like on a path with a horse and you're riding it along and the horse has been on this path before, it may be fine. But if you like all of a sudden there's brand new trash cans on the path, the horse might be freaked out by them because it knows the path, but it doesn't know what that is. Uh, and hey, that wasn't here yesterday. Yeah, exactly. What is this? Exactly. Horses are really nervous neighbors. They're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you bringing your trash out every Tuesday? What's going on here? <laughs> you trying to eat me? He's trying to eat me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So right now, horses can see 200 to 210 degrees in each eyeball. Wow. So think each of, eyeball. So think of where the horse's eyes are on its head. It can see basically in front of it and there is some overlap. So they have binocular vision in front. Both eyes can see mm-hmm. the front of about 60 degrees. But the rest of it, they can see all the way to their back. They can see wow. their hindquarters. They can see where their legs are, which is why you're not supposed to sneak up on a horse like directly behind it because it will kick you because no. it cannot see you. But it can see that. you if you're just a little bit to the side. And that's yeah. great for prey who need to see harm coming from anywhere. But most predator animals have two eyes in the front uh, and so they can see mostly in front of them and not really behind because they're not being preyed upon as often so they don't need to they turn around (laughs) so and it's it's really important they have that forward like depth perception for when they strike right right yes like I think about we had a pet jumping spider because of course we did because yeah. eventually we will have every pet that you can imagine. Sure. And what's really interesting about jumping spiders, like other spiders that just rely on things wandering into the web, their eyes can point in like all directions, but jumping spiders have two huge eyes. It actually makes them kind of cute. They are kind of cute. And they point forward because they have to be able to gauge like how far they need to jump and where their prey is so yeah it's that's a very common trait right so first thing we're gonna have to change about horses uh smaller social groups second thing we're gonna have to change about horses they breed slower so they might not breed as often so they're not having as many foals third thing we're gonna have to put their eyeballs more in front of their face rather than to the side (laughs) <laughs> Wait, are you telling me apex predators have no friends and no sex life? <laughs> so, like, mean, all these people that are like, I'm an alpha wolf. It's like, honestly, oh, oh, sad. You said it. I didn't say it. I uh, nailed you it. Said it. Yeah, nailed it. Nailed it. No uh, friends, no sex life. <laughs> right now, by the way, horses cannot see their mouths. Mm. So when they eat stuff, like when you feed them a carrot, they don't necessarily know what they're looking at, like what they're about to eat. They just know that it's coming. Uh. They also can't see their noses. Like, so you and I can see our nose, uh, but we can't see our mouth either. Do you never think about the fact that you can't see your mouth? I hate that you said that out loud because now it's the only thing I'm going to think about ever again. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're making such funny ah, faces. I hate it. <laughs> I'm trying to see it. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to get a good look at it. <laughs> So the next thing we're going to need to change about horses. Most apex predators are omnivorous or carnivorous. And there's this thing that omnivores and carnivores can do that ruminants and other kind of plant eaters don't necessarily need to do. Any guesses what that might be? Omnivores, is it tear flesh? Vomit! It's vomit. Vomit? Horses cannot vomit. Wow. They don't have the ability to do that. Uh, There's so many fun facts in this episode. Right? So they have to, (laughs) omnivores, you know, you end up eating something, you need to get it out of your body, like usually a toxic substance. You eat a lot more different things, whereas horses are mostly eating grass. So they're like an other plant matter. And so it's just less common that they're going to eat a super toxic thing. So they don't vomit. And so they would need to be able to vomit, which would involve a lot of, you know, changes to their body. But that's okay. So what happens is when you vomit, there's all these involuntary muscles contracting and relaxing. There's the diaphragm spasms and pushes the contents out and everything's open and it closes the spaces in your breathing area. So you don't get vomit in your breathing area, assuming everything works. 
perfectly. And then your brain has all these neurons that are specifically designed to do this for you. And horses' neurons don't really do that. They don't have all of those things there ready to go. Mm. And so we need to make some of those changes. However... You know, aside from that, uh, I, you know, if we changed that first and made the horses vomiting, maybe the smaller friend group and, and <laughs> reduced sex life would take just, care of itself. Just come, just come so along with it. let's simplify, you know, and just we're going to skip the first two steps. Just jump right to three. Horses can vomit now and all their social horses groups are just like, now. <gasps> the The puking horse with eyes that stare straight ahead in an unsettling manner. <laughs> Oh, I already hate it. <laughs> That's what the headless horseman should be writing. <laughs> uh, so the Journal of Animal Ecology uh, and another journal called F1000 Research, it might not be a journal, it might just be a company. They did a whole study on apex predators, which, by the way, I think we should name this apex predator horse, um, any like not like Chuck or whatever, or like Stacy. I'm talking no, like <laughs> Stacy, the apex carna horse. Stacy, the ape, the predatory horse. <laughs> Welcome to Stacy the Predatory Horse. Ooh, I know what we'd call them. Nightmares. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. Okay, so apex nightmares would have eyes in the front of their head. They'd be able to vomit. They would have a lot fewer babies. Um, let's just make them blue, because why not? Then it looks because it looks like the Denver Airport Lucifer. Statue. If As you haven't foretold, seen it, Google, Google by all it. the conspiracy it's great. theories about the statue at the Denver airport. Right. Um, so, according to these Journal of Animal Ecology and F1000 research, they did the studies on specifically traits of apex predators, and they found that there are different types. There's ambush predators, uh, ballistic interception predators, and pursuit mm. predators. So, an ambush predator needs to have good camouflage, good senses. It can't be too big. So think of like big cats, right? They're sneaking up on their prey. They're in the tall grass and then pow, they jump out and attack. They also right. uh, could be like a octopus. They're bl- blending in, you know, you have the sit and pursue ballistic interception kind of predators as well. These are both kind of mixed in. And so you have like octopuses that sit there and they wait until somebody comes, swims by and they ambush it. <laughs> Got it. Or like the ballistic interception might be a cheetah. It sneaks up, gets yeah. close and then pow, gets the like last hundred feet as fast as possible to get to it. Right. Then there, the thing I think the uh, apex nightmare could do is pursuit, which is a human style pursuit Mm. predator where we just run horses can run so well they are such good runners they can run for miles and miles uh 20 to 40 miles without stopping or getting tired they have really good lungs Uh, they have good circulation so they can do that Uh, unfortunately horses are also kind of dumb so if they have a rider they will ride themselves to death they can they will run until they die they they because Mm. you're scaring them essentially you just keep scaring them uh and they'll just keep running you've really taken advantage of that prey reflex right (laughs) yeah exactly that is what we do when when we ride them like that um like in movies Mm. and stuff where like they ride all night and it's like that horse is gonna die when it gets to where it's going uh which is too bad um, but hmm. the, so you have all of these things. You could have a horse that does this too. It has this pursuit behavior. So if you're taking this prey animal, you're taking some of its advantages and you're turning it into a predator animal. You're, you know, giving it stereoscopic or like binocular vision. You're giving it like the ability to vomit up toxins. You're giving it the ability to like pursue prey uh, for long periods. Um, they still couldn't use tools or anything like that without some, again, major changes to their body. And right now, horses, uh, they have safety in numbers. So they have pretty big social groups they birth a new foal every year so we're looking at a lot fewer lions are looking are doing like one to two cubs for every two years or one to six cubs for every two years so there are just a lot of different changes that would need to happen in order for for horses to become these nightmares they don't have claws uh, so what would they do when they get to the prey? They'd have to literally outrun it and exhaust it until it falls over, which is what some other persistence hunters do. Um, however, they could just, you know, do that and then kill the thing by stomping on it mm. like they do now because they, they do that. So while doing research on this, and since this is the Halloween episode, I just want to, I'm going to read parts of a letter to you from an October 2002 issue of The Horse magazine. It is literally a magazine for people who own horses. I'm going to try and edit it on the fly a little bit, but uh, because it's a little graphic. I was driving to his farm, and I got near his driveway. I noticed one of his horses trying to reach something through the fence that faces the road. I turned and stopped for a moment, 
to see if I could see what the horse was trying to get. I walked up to the edge of the fence, and the horse, 75 feet away from me, pulled its head back through the fence and had a dead rabbit in its mouth. The horse trotted, carrying the rabbit, and at first I chuckled to myself, thinking this horse was hard up for something to play with. As I continued to watch, I became shocked as the horse placed the rabbit on the ground, placed a front hoof on the part of the rabbit to hold it down, and bit into its belly, tearing it apart. I stood there for ten minutes watching as the horse ate most of the rabbit's soft tissue. It must have been freshly killed by a car because it didn't seem to be stiff. Needless to say, I was in shock because I've never heard of a horse eating meat of any kind. I went back up to the barnyard where there were goats and chickens running in a small pasture shared with horses. About five minutes, we sat on a fence and all the horses made their way up to a small barnyard area. This is a separate day. My friend noticed they seemed to be a little spooked or jittery. We could not believe what we saw. It couldn't be sure it was the same horse, but one was chasing one of the goats around, and we laughed at the playfulness. Then all of a sudden, the horse picked the goat up off the ground and shook it violently. It was hurt badly before it dropped it from its mouth. Before we could get down to the fence to run over to the goat, it bit the underside of the neck and began to shake it wildly again. We both knew that there was no saving the goat. Then it put its hoof on the goat's neck, bent its head down, and began biting the goat's belly. The horse has developed a taste for mammal blood. (laughs) The horse raised its head, covered in blood, and he was chewing away. We watched the horse continue to eat the goat. Meanwhile, other horses wandered up. One of the three reached into the cavity, got a bite, and raised her head while chewing. The other horses did the same. My friend and I were stunned at what we just witnessed. A couple of days went by, and I went back to visit again. He said he'd cleaned the blood off all the horses and groomed them, and at no time did the horses seem to get aggressive toward him at all. It just seemed as they were normal. There has been nothing else going on with these horses since. The events we saw with our own eyes are still a mystery. Neither of us is willing to believe that this is the first time this has happened. This was a letter to The Horse Magazine in the year 2002. Those those horses made a covenant with the devil, <laughs> is what happened. They sacrificed a goat and partook in its blood. And a rabbit as well. That's, as that's like a, a pact with Satan if I've ever heard it. That's... <laughs> It literally sacrificed a goat. And then its family all partook. It's crazy. So it, this was whinnied into the night air with their faces covered in the goat's blood. This is a horror movie. Right? And this is one of three letters that they got. After they printed the first one, they got other letters from other horse owners about their carnivorous horses. And it turns out there were so many examples of this throughout history that a woman who was reading these wrote a book called Deadly Equines, the shocking true story of meat-eating murderous horses. And an excerpt from that book, she wrote, quote, Equestrian explorers and researchers from a variety of countries pooled their experiences, delved into obscure documents, reviewed rare books, and conducted interviews around the world. After nine years of groundbreaking analysis, they found that 30 countries had stories like this over a space of nearly 4,000 years with horses consuming 18 different types of flesh, including human beings. Julian, you can scream now. Ah! (laughs) Wow. Uh, Meg's partner. Any any respect for the horses now? (laughs) You better. Meg's partner. You better. You better, because they're coming for you. They can run for miles. <laughs> they don't get tired. And they'll just step on your neck they're, and bite into yeah. your belly. Tear into your soft underside. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. And then speak in a backwards neigh <laughs> to Baphomet. It is fun to imagine a horse with sharp teeth or with claws, but it doesn't necessarily need them. That's where my mind went, right? Me too. Then I found this. Fangs, 
claws. Yeah, the definitely the forward-facing eye thing, which I think is objectively goofy. Yeah. Like, I would love to see a sketch of a horse with forward-facing eyes because it would look so wrong. I mean, that's like BoJack Horseman kind of style of yeah. animation. I, this is what I wrote in the piece. I was just like, um, if we did redesign it, it would just look like an animated horse from like Ren and Stimpy it or would. BoJack Horseman yeah. or whatever, where we just like... we Charlie put, the Unicorn. Right, we just put the eyes in the front because it looks more like a person. However, they already eat meat. They just don't usually need to or want to, I guess. They just, they don't want us to see because they want to keep us unsuspecting. Yeah. We think we're the ambush predators, but the horses are playing the long game. Yeah, maybe. Woo! <laughs> Jeez. Isn't that messed up? That's actually kind of terrifying. I'm never going to look at horses the same after reading that. I'm never going to look at horses again lest they see me and, <laughs> and figure out where I live. I'm just picturing Visit it me in slowly the chewing. <laughs> What what I had pictured, too, when I saw this question was I imagined, like, historical horse riders, like the Mongol Empire, which was... Because, no, like, horses are from this area of Eurasia, right? right? Like, these wide-open grasslands, which makes sense, yeah. right? And so, like, the, the Mongol Empire was so successful because they were incredible horsemen and women right like just um um, they all had like five horses and they would they would yeah use them like all cavalry army and now i'm just like imagining add to the mix oh yeah and the horses are also bloodthirsty apex (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe it's not that big of an imagine Uh, it they uh, they did do more research on this and they said they probably ate the soft tissue because they don't really have the teeth or the like gut available to break down right. any of the gristly or the like bones or anything like that. So unlike a carnivore, which would eat a lot of those connective tissues and things, they're just eating the parts that they can they can definitely digest. So it's not like they don't know how to do this if they want to. They just don't typically need to or want to. They choose. They're like grass or giblets. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay, feeling grass. grass. I'm feeling grass. This yeah, time. I'm feeling yeah. grass. So if they were apex predators overnight, it would be terrifying. They would be 2,000-pound animals that can run for miles. They would be able to knock you over and eat your guts, and it would be really amazing horror movie stuff. It would be. It would be really good. Would they be as large, though? Great question. I don't know. I mean, usually an apex predator is a large thing. Like, a lot of them are large, but as I mentioned, not Mm -hmm. all of them. So maybe they would get smaller over time. I also thought, like, maybe not only would their gut adapt and their teeth adapt and their eyes adapt, but maybe they would have, like, hoof adaptations, so it would be more, like, spiky. You know, maybe they would break in two and be more like the other ungulates with, are they ungulates with it, where they have more like a cloven hoof instead of a single hoof. Um, Mm. You know, maybe they would have a complete skeletal adaptation over millions of years where they would be able to run without using all four of their legs, in which case, again, we're back to BoJack Horseman. (laughs) Like other animated horses. Yeah. No, to, to get back to, you know, Meg's partner's gripe with horses, right, is they're so large, but why are they apex predators? But a lot of larger animals are more often herbivores or omnivores because like the in, when you think in terms of trophic levels which is like how much energy is in the food mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. step before you there's just way more energy available like from grass and foliage yes. and a vegetative diet yeah. than there is from like a meat eating diet and you know only like a certain percentage of that energy like makes it to the next step yeah. so predators tend to not be super large right like right. i think like a, a orca or a sperm whale right in the ocean but like you know the blue whale is so much larger because it's eating you know krill where there's tons and tons and tons and tons of little krill yeah. or like horses and cows are big elephants they're big none of them are meat eaters right possibly very dangerous yeah. if you irritate it or threaten it or walk up right behind it and it freaks out yeah but still not predator if you think about it horses are constantly grazing now there's a reason Mm -hmm. we call it grazing when we're like oh i'm eating throughout the day it's like because the horse is literally grazing all the time to be able to have all of that energy so that when a predator does come it can run away um but otherwise they're just kind of you know trotting around until link parachutes out of the sky on his little thing didn't (laughs) land on its back but before that it's fine you know they're just kind of hanging out so anyway Still playing Tears of the Kingdom, Still playing. I see. Oh, yeah. I'm like 200 hours. Okay, <laughs> so, so uh, to wrap this all up, they might be able to kill goats and other small animals, but ultimately, as an apex predator, they would need a complete redesign. We'd have to go back to the drawing board. 
Um, and humans would still be a better one. So also horse tastes delicious. Apparently, I've never eaten it, but oh, it's supposed to be good. I'm gonna take your word for it. So. I don't know. Live and let live. That's my pact with the horses. <laughs> At this point, yes, please. At this, no murders. Yeah. Thank you. Please be nice to me, horses. <laughs> so thank you again, Meg, for sending in your question, and I hope that your that partner great. really uh, respects horses a little more. Because if not, watch out. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Trace. Uh, this one was so much fun. The, the Halloween spooktacular, I really enjoyed it. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to wherever you're listening to this. If you're on a podcasting app or platform, or, you know, if you're on Nebula, yeah, keep following us and checking out other stuff like Meg was. If you want to find us on the internet, you can find me on socials like Instagram, X, ugh, uh, threads. I'm at hugitout, H-U-G-G-E-T-O-U-T. I'm on all of the social medias as well, Instagram, threads, that other one, at Trace Dominguez. You can also find me on YouTube if you want to learn more sciencey things and you can find us on Nebula and wherever you get your podcasts, you can find That's Absurd. Please elaborate. Or you can also find That's Absurd Show. Um, you have a website where you can ask your questions, that's absurdshow.com slash ask, or you can submit it down in the show notes. We have a link directly there. Uh, and you can, of course, also ask us questions by sending us messages directly on our social media. So thanks again for listening and thanks again for just sticking around for all of the Halloween weirdness. Man, that was, that was a lot. <laughs> so thanks again. The editor for this episode is Kyle Sisk. The producers are Trace Dominguez and Julian Huguet. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you in two weeks. Nightmare away! Yay!